Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Positively Gam is sponsored by Vaseline. See how they are working towards equitable skincare for all at Vaseline.com. Some way, dark women have really been made to feel unworthy and unloved, unprotected. And the women, we are supposed to be the nurturers. I think we men have damn near destroyed the two things that give us life, the planet and women. And until women are healed, we will not be healed as men. What's up, everybody? I'm Gammy, and this is Positively Gam. Every week, I have raw, in-depth conversations with inspirational people pushing for change on everything from aging, relationships, politics, wellness, to the current issues facing the Black community. Today, I'm talking with my good friend, Dee Chanson Berry, on colorism. And Chan is a producer and director known for his documentaries, Dark Girls and Dark Girls 2. Both films document colorism within the African-American community, a subject that many African-Americans are still affected by today. Let's start with a definition of what colorism is. And the reason why I want to do that is because I, in this conversation, and I think it will happen, there's such a thin line to me between colorism and racism. So tell me what your definition of colorism is. I think it's discrimination within people of color against themselves, you know, the different hues, 
light skin versus dark skin, dark skin versus light skin. But it all starts with the rape of the slave. Well, the definition that that I have in front of me is a discrimination within a racial group that favors people with lighter skin over those over darker skin. But I think we do need to understand that that discrimination goes both ways. What was it about colorism that made you decide that you needed to make a film about it? Growing up in East Orange, New Jersey, and Bill Duke, who was my partner on the first one, grew up in Poughkeepsie, New York. And both of us being two dark-skinned little boys, for me, I was told when I was too dark, too ugly, that left some scars. I was, I was never the first choice or the second choice for the girls. So it was painful. So that did a little bit of a job on my psyche. And my self-esteem was, was quite low until I became a senior in high school. And maybe because what I, was, what I saw myself becoming, and that was a radio personality. Since my father kind of shut me down in terms of speaking and having an opinion. So I was very shy and quiet, and I didn't have a voice. So I thought that radio might be the thing for me because I could speak and nobody could see me, so I could hide. But fast forward, you know, when Bill and I came together and decided to do Dark Girls 1, we totally understood what it meant to be looked upon in a negative way because of your skin complexion, your hue. But somewhere in these 70s, 80s, it became okay to be dark. People like Richard Roundtree and Wesley Snipes and Eddie Murphy, who hit the big screen and made it cool and sexy to be dark. Sidney Poitier made it cool and sexy to be dark. But that didn't happen with dark-skinned women. That was going to be my question, because you're a man, but you focused on the experience from a woman's perspective. And and that was the catalyst for that, because you felt like men were accepted, the dark-skinned men. Yeah, we became, you know, in vogue, so to speak. You know, we were we were cool. We were sexy. We were wanted. We were, you know, we were wanted. But for the dark-skinned female, the tragedy kept going on. The trauma kept going on. The drama kept going on. The name-calling kept going on. What was that movie that Spike Lee did? School Days. And and think about all the different, like, the pencil test. The snow and blow. Like, that was, snow and blow was a new (laughs) description to me. Like, light, light enough where you be compared to snow and then if your hair can blow in the wind i think when i saw dark girls the first one the thing that was really so painful was when the little girl was picking out who was the smart girl and who was the dumb girl and who was the pretty girl and who was the ugly girl she was so young. She couldn't have been more than four or five years old. And that was ingrained in her already. So, 
you know, what what chance did she have? And where does that all come from? When I think about it, Adrian, it's so sad that children are hit with this. And I think a lot of it begins at home. And then the other begins with the media and what these children and what people are seeing on magazine covers when you don't see yourself on a magazine cover. Right. I think we have to even go back further than that, Chan, because it was all part of the plan. Yeah. You know what I mean? We we have been totally decimated as a culture, as a people. We were brought over here, robbed and, and stripped of everything. Everything, everything. We our history, our language, our families, our religion. Mm-hmm. We had nothing. And we were made to believe that. So when you talk about colonization, it's not just physical colonization. It was cultural colonization because we were meant to and taught to believe that in order to elevate ourselves, we had to be like the colonizer. We were taught to accept their language, their their way of dress, their belief systems, all of that. And in all of that, we were just made to feel like nothing. Yeah, beat into submission, lynched into submission, raped into submission. Which is how we got all those different hues in the in the first place. I took a trip to uh, to Ghana to visit the slave castles, and we shot there with dark girls too. And that's probably one of the deepest trips I've ever taken in my life was to go to a slave dungeon where they held women and be able to feel spirit in that place. Adrian just wore me out. And Dr. Cheryl Grills, who was my consultant at the time. Yes, I love her. We had this amazing voyage into the past. We got to the door of no return when we left the women's dungeon. And I, I fell out. I couldn't even reach the door. And my crew was around me, and they were emotionally moved. And I was weeping uncontrollably. But they picked me up, Adrian, and brought me to the door of no return. There was a they would Cheryl was doing a ceremony over me, and it was the first time that I've ex- experienced my birth and my death at the same time. And it happened to be 400 years last year that I marked the the slave trade from there to the rest of the world. And I was back where I started from. So it was really deep. So I had to bring that to the film. And it, it changed the whole film of Dark Girls too. And when going through the other parts of the dungeon and hearing the stories of the rape of the African women and knowing that they would take the women from the dungeons into this court. In the middle court, they had a something that you would lift up and at the bottom was the ocean. So they would take the women who were chained and dunk them in the ocean, in, in that little opening, dunk them, clean them off. These were Dutch, Portuguese, French, and British 
traitors. And then the babies that were born out of that were left there and to be raised by people there on the shores. And it started a whole another community of light-skinned, mixed people. And that's how it started. It started, it started because of rape. Colorism started because of rape. And we haven't gotten over that since because we never got professional help for it. So we have division. Yeah. You know, like we all know the stories of the, you know, the house slaves and the, and the field slaves. We, we, we all know that. And again, that was their way to keep us separated and fighting against each other. We talked about colorism on Red Table as well. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it again is just because I just feel like there's not enough hours in the day. You can't have too many conversations about this. The last thing that we want to do is to find things that once again separate us and divide us as a culture. So that's certainly not what, the, we, what we're trying to do here. Actually, it's just the opposite. Because I feel like if we keep shoving this to the back, because it all it all reflects on how we communicate and how we treat one another within our own race, and and we we can't keep denying that colorism exists. And I know in my family, particularly, you know, and, I, and I've shared this before with my with my grandmother, she was light and we had neighbors that were very, very dark. And she did not want us to play with those children. Knowing what you know now about colorism and you being a lighter in complexion, at this age that we are, do you, do you have issues with being lighter in complexion or has it ever come up? Absolutely. I definitely did. I definitely did growing up. Felt like during that time there, there were <laughs> like you would, you, you would get beat up just for being light skinned with long hair. You know, I remember getting teased about having white people in my family. Because, our, you know, our background is Portuguese. I guess that's where my nose comes from. I have a huge nose to me. And, yeah, I remember getting teased about that and really, really feeling some kind of way about it. Like, really arguing, like, you know, I'm not white. You know, there's it's no white people in my family. All of that. And just really, really being upset about it. And I even when I talked to Jada, Jada mentioned that, you know, back in the day when, when we used to, everybody would we'd be talking about, well, I got Indian in me, I, I'm Cherokee, and all, all of that, as if just being Black was not good enough. Like everybody, first of all, let's be clear, everybody is mixed with something. If you've been in here more than 100 years, you're mixed with something. That's right. You're mixed with something, okay? I don't give a damn how dark you are, how light you are. You're mixed with something. Thank you. You know, but we've been brainwashed to believe that we're not good enough. And being mixed, having another bloodline validates your worthiness. Wow. 
That that's a sad state of affairs right there. You know what I always thought? How can I and how could black people be racist? No one who looks like me ever stopped a white person from getting a job. Okay. Now listen, when I when I talk about white and black, I'm not talking about all white people and I'm not talking about all black people. So let's get that straight. People like me have never stopped a person who is white from getting a job, being denied housing, med- medical care. Just it just wasn't us. We just, we didn't do that to people. It was done to us. So what does it make one feel like after years, hundreds of years of being denied? What would you feel like? And isn't it interesting that as damaged as we are as a people, there's such a stigma on seeking professional help for that. And we're probably the ones that need it the most. Because we are so psychologically and emotionally damaged. I, I, I agree with you. I think that everybody on the planet is on this on the spectrum of some type of mental illness, but especially African-Americans. That's one of the, the things I'm tackling in my next documentary called The Covered Mind, Mental Health in the Black Community. I'd like to focus on, on depression and anxiety, especially right now. I think all of us are on the edge. And we don't know what that means because you don't know what's going to trigger you you losing or going off that edge. You know, is it an incident? Is it a word? Is it another murder? You know, we just don't know. Adrian, I don't give a damn how much money you make, don't make, or what kind of car you drive, or what kind of house you live in, what kind of neighbor you live in. A black man is a stop sign away from being killed. Absolutely. And that's been proven over and over again. I got a lot of questions, you know, like, how do we get here? And why do you hate me so much? I've never done anything to you. And it's and it seems shallow, <laughs> like just the color of your skin. Because you know what? That's something to hide behind because of fear and guilt, because you know what you've done. You know, old folks used to say, how you start is how you end. Now, think about that when I think about the history of America. If America started with the dregs of society coming from Europe, and the the Native Americans were already here, and you say you come in and you discovered America, when there were people already here before, that's the first lie, isn't it? But then when you have those kinds of people coming over with that kind of mentality who don't fit in over there, but they're trying to start a new life over here, but they're the poorest of the poor, they're criminals, some of them, and they're, you know, not well-to-do people, that's the base of America. And then and then you so you've got stolen land, and then you bring in stolen people from Africa, and you tell them and you teach them what you want them to know and what you want them to do. Exactly. And there you go. 
let's let's talk about that for a minute because Dr. Grills, you you spoke about Dr. Uh, Cheryl Grills, who was one of your consultants on both films, I believe. And one of her statements that I remembered so much is an African proverb: "Until the lion has a historian, the hunter will always be the hero." And that really, really, really stuck with me because we have got to take responsibility for our history, for teaching and learning our own history. We can't expect them to, you see what they've taught us. Black children don't know African history. They know African-American history, which starts with slavery, right? Because our history doesn't start with slavery. No, that's what I'm saying. African history does not start with slavery. That's one of the things, one of the most important things that I think our children are missing. So we have no sense of pride, no sense of self-worth. Well, Adrian, when you have when you have people who have been called and identified five or six different identities over the last 400 years, you have a problem. When, you, when you've been colored Black, Negro, African-American, Afro-American, and nigger, and, and most of those things, most of those identities were not given to you, were given to you by people who don't look like you, there's a problem. So we're always having people identify us. And we have to take that power back to we identify, we say what we are, we say what we want, we ask and demand the things that we want for us. There needs to be a black and black agenda. Oh, say it again. Say it again, only louder. There needs to be a black agenda. And we need to hold these politicians from the ground up to the White House and giving us and making that and demanding this happens because we've never had one. We've had civil rights, but civil rights is for everybody, but we forgot to ask for black rights as far as I'm concerned. And this is a time, this is a crossroads right now in America and in the world. And if we don't get this right, there's gonna be some serious issues. We need to have a black agenda, find out find out exactly what we want and how we want it and when we want it. Gather ourselves, gather our minds, gather our spirits, gather our souls, gather our people, come to a decision about that and then push the agenda forward. I know. I so agree with you 100%. How do we get there? Who who are the decision makers that would bring that agenda forward? I mean, how do we even get to an agenda? How do we how do we come up with what the agenda is? Who are the people that are going to come together to do that? We don't have any leaders like we had in the 50s, the 60s, and, and part of the 70s. And the reason why is that nobody wants to die f- for that. I want to get back because we, we are supposed to be talking about colorism. And so I want to get back to the women because some way dark women have really been made to feel unworthy and unloved 
unprotected. And the women, we are supposed to be the nurturers. We are the ones that are going to nurture and raise the children in the community. How can we teach our children to love themselves and love one another if we don't feel love for ourselves? I say this all the time. I think we men have damn near destroyed the two things that give us life, the planet and women. And until women are healed, we will not be healed as men. You know, women have always been by our sides as black as black men. They've always been here. They've never, you guys have never gone anywhere because if you had, we wouldn't be here. You have been our secret weapons. I don't want to deny the experience that dark women have by generalizing and, and making it all women because I really, I really feel really, really strongly about this and how colorism has affected us. And like even in, you see it more in the third world countries than you do here in the United States, but just, just the use of like the bleaching creams in media, in Hollywood, strongly, strongly in hip hop where when you look at the videos, all you see are the light-skinned women with long hair, you know, as the fly women, as the love interest, as the lead. My grandson did a video recently, and he used a, a young lady who had the Afro as his lead. I was so excited. I was so excited and proud about that. It should not be that. That should be the norm, but it was not the norm and it stood out. That's a problem. If light skin and long hair blowing in the wind is the only thing that you identify as beautiful. We are so brainwashed with the European standards of beauty. And this didn't just start. I mean, like, this has been going on for years. And we do seem to right now be in a position where Black is beautiful and natural hair and darker skin tones are coming to the forefront and being looked upon more positively. But the thing is that the, these moments in time just kind of come and go. It seems like they don't stick and stay. Like we went through that back in the 60s with black, you know, James Brown, I'm black and I'm proud. But but it didn't stay. It didn't stick and stay. And, and that's my concern about this. When I looked at Dark Girls 2, when I watched that, I was blessed enough to be able to come to that. And it, it was powerful. But it saddened me that the scene with the, the girls from ECR, El Camino Real, which is right down the street from me. Those young ladies were in there crying. That's the scene that still gets to me today. Absolutely. 
painful to watch. Painful to watch. We set the cameras up. The girls came in. All shades between the ages of 14 and 17 years of age. But what came out of that conversation with these young girls was life-changing for me. Some of the emotions that were brought up by these young girls about colorism and being dark-skinned and being light-skinned and being not accepted and thinking of committing suicide, and it just broke my heart. I have a hard time watching that scene in the movie today, but it moved me. It moved me. And the, the fact that these babies are still going through this today is unthinkable. And they were crying about their experience, particularly the the dark-skinned girls were crying about the experiences that they were having with their classmates and, and the way they were treated and discriminated against, not being popular, just based on their skin color. And how is it that companies are able to market these bleaching creams that are so detrimental, that are carcinogenic, quite frankly, in these third world countries? How are they? Because they don't even offer that shit here. They, they, they got to the point where they offered in, in the Congo in other places also, also in India and also in, in China. Right, because that, that's another thing that we can't, we cannot forget. This is, we're making it sound like it is just African-American issue, a black issue. Colorism is a global issue. Globally around the world, darker skin, darker hues are looked upon as negatively. So one of the questions I asked when I was in Ghana of one of the sisters who I interviewed who had been bleaching her skin and her skin had turned dark blotches all over her body. I asked her, if she, does she believe in God? She said, of course I do. And I said, well, if you believe in God, do you think God made a mistake when he, when he made you? And she was completely silent. And then she said, no. So I said, well, so why are you trying to change God's beauty and gift? You have that melanin in your skin to protect you, my dear. You're beautiful. So why would you want to take that away? Let's talk a little bit about how we can heal as a community. And one of the things that we talked about that I feel extremely strong about is educating our children. What are some of the things that, that stand out for you, Chan, as, as a, a way towards healing? Recognizing that you have an issue is the first thing. Talking about it with someone and then talking about it with someone who's a professional who can possibly help you out to get through this situation. All kinds of therapies are available. But, you know, we've given so much away of ourselves, Adrian, for many, 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 many years. What do you mean by that? Sometimes it feels like that Black people create and white people conquer. Yeah. We create and they take. Yeah. They monetize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we could say that with jazz. We could say that with fashion. We could say that with a whole bunch of things that we that Black people have invented that some white people have taken for themselves. 
as creator. Given the current climate and discussions playing out about race, specifically Black lives, how is colorism playing a part in all of this? Like, studies show that darker people are more likely to get arrested or be incarcerated. Darker women are more likely to serve longer prison terms and sentences. Women are paid less. And so, and and that's for me where it gets a little gray for me because is this colorism or is this racism? Well, that's a very good question. Or is it a little bit, or is it a little bit of both, I guess? I don't know. I keep thinking about what will it take for some white men to have a conversation about racism and colorism in this country. I was getting ready to say, Chan, because we're we're talking about having the conversation amongst ourselves, but are we the ones that need to be having the conversation with? We no. don't need to talk to each other. We know what the hell is going on. No, it's 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 white white folks that need to have the conversation about racism and colorism in this country because they never had it. Especially white men. They're in. They're really in denial because because the first thing that <clears throat> that I will hear from a um, man of means who is in corporate America is that's something I don't want to talk about. That I don't want to deal. I don't want to deal with that. They see, they have that privilege to say that and to do that and to be that to become that. When I or people like me don't have that street to travel down. So the conversation about racism and colorism and sexism should be had and started with white America. But if people who look like you and I closed your mouth and closed your pocketbook, it would tear this country up. But the other thing is this. Money is one thing, yes. The other thing is that if I don't know what you're thinking and how you're thinking, that disturbs the apple cart also. Because I can't figure it out. Shut your mouth and shut your pocketbook. That's how you get America's attention. Ooh. Ooh, Chan. You just said a word. So, but the thing about it is that it's been proven to us by white men. They don't invest in you and they don't talk to you. So why wouldn't it work for us? People are not connecting the dots. They're too busy thinking about Democrat, Republican, da-da-da-da-da, that color, da-da-da. It's deeper than that. All you gotta do is just listen and watch and pick out all the places that you're not. Are you on Wall Street? Are you in the boardrooms on Wall Street? Were you in the boardrooms of the Fortune 500 companies? Where are you in decision-making when it comes to people like us? Nowhere to be found. But this is where the turning point is right now, the crossroads. We can do that. We can be that. You have to elect people who have your best interest at heart. But first, you have to have an agenda to know that. Left wing, right wing, same bird. Which goes back to 
we need a black agenda. We talk about reparations, what does that look like? So maybe it looks like a tax break or not paying taxes when you're over 60, 60 years old anymore. And maybe everybody under 60 are free education and free Medicare. Free medical, free education, anywhere you wanna go, anything that happens to you, you're covered. And over 60, you pay no taxes. I definitely like the idea of free education because college tuition is ridiculous. But it only makes it only makes America better. We're Americans. We're Americans. We are Americans. Let's get that straight. We are Americans. We're not going anywhere. We're a 40 million strong and we're not going anywhere. Well said, Chan. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, my dear. It's always a pleasure to see and talk to you. But we haven't talked like this before, so this is a good thing. This is another good thing. It's another good thing. A few takeaways from the conversation. People need to see color to begin to recognize that colorism is an issue. In the healing conversations, remember that listening and acknowledging the experiences of others is paramount. Beauty has no skin tone. There needs to be a black agenda so we can take back the power. However, we never had the power to begin with. Think on that. Education seems like such an expansive idea, but teaching our children the history we need them to know and believe starts at home. Remember the little boy, the video of the little boy walking to school saying affirmations that his mama had taught him. I am smart. I am blessed. I can do anything. That puts such a smile on all of our faces. But something as small as teaching your children small affirmations and words of encouragement to believe in themselves and to believe in us as a people. That's a way to begin. And last but never least, remember to love yourself first. Tonight, go rent Dark Girls and Dark Girls 2 on Amazon. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the episode. Follow me on my Instagram at Gammy Norris to share with me your thoughts on the episode. I'm here, I'm talking, and I'm listening. And as always, folks, stay grateful. Positively Gam is produced by Westbrook Audio. Executive producers, Adrian Banfield-Norris, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Amanda Brown, and Fallon Jethro. Co-executive producer, Sim Hoti. Editor and mixer, Calvin Bailiff. Positively Gam is in partnership with Art19.